0: lord thank you for this morning thank you god for for prompting us and giving us opportunity to glorify you and thank you and praise you and worship you lord jesus help us now to listen to your words through laura and to grow in understanding of you lord and to be more more jesus-like people amen
1: Good morning, church. Let me just get myself set up here. Perfect, so my name's Laura, um, and I'm part of the core leadership team here at Middlesbrough Community Church, if you've not met me before. Um, And today we're carrying on the series that Johnny kicked us off on last week. So last week, the series that we're in at the minute is called, If You Want to Be the Greatest, dot 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 and so johnny kicked us off last week looking at power and status in the kingdom of god and johnny reminded us last week or told us last week that to be great in the kingdom of god you have to be last you have to be humble you have to be childlike and you have to be broken and these things are very different to how the world how society tell us we need to be great and today's talk really follows on from that we need to grasp this kind of topsy-turvy way of thinking in god's kingdom to understand our place in it so today as beth said i've been asked to speak on if you want to be the greatest judge not and james has so beautifully led me into where we're going with this this morning judge not comes from matthew's gospel just towards the end of jesus sermon on the mount matthew 5 is where the sermon on the mount starts And he spent two whole chapters teaching his followers some really key lessons, things like the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, how you deal with adultery, how you deal with divorce, how you deal with worry. And now we're coming on to how we judge others. Thank you. So we've got it on the screen. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye you hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye this scripture is really key to what we're going to be looking at today which is what does the bible tell us about judging others Today, I want us to have a little look at how the world tells us to judge others, how the Bible or Jesus' teaching tells us to judge others, and ultimately, how we can apply that teaching to our everyday lives. Did you know that when we meet somebody for the first time, we make our first impression judgments about them within seven seconds? Appearance, body language, attitude, and many other things affect the judgments that we make about people before they've even opened their mouth. I don't know if you've ever had interview training. I remember having some in college ready to prepare us for the world of work. And there was a whole art to the handshake. That people will make judgments about you from something so simple. Now, it may be a very British thing, to learn about. I'm not sure in Nigeria how many handshakes you do as well. <laughs> but we do love a good handshake here. And the teaching covered a whole array of things that could make somebody judge your handshake. Maybe it is how vigorously you shake the hand, whether you offer the hand first or they offer the hand first to you, whether it was a firm grip or a weak grip. Don't want a weak grip handshake how sweaty your palms are, I mean, when the weather's like this, always, always sweaty, right? All of this was to help us perform well in an interview, because it didn't matter how well you were going to go on and ask the questions, the interviewer would have made assumptions about you just based on something as simple as how you shook their hand. I can't say if the lessons have helped, and please don't come and rape my handshake after this talk. I don't want to know. They will be clammy. But I'm sure we've all had occasions where we felt judged on first impressions, where we felt judged incorrectly in just very short interactions, where people have seen our appearance, our body language, the way we speak, our handshake, and made assumptions about us that are incorrect, where we've been judged incorrectly. And we've already heard two brief testimonies at the minute at, already this morning, that those judgments can be painful. A few years ago, I had a junior colleague start at work and she'd been with us for a couple of weeks and i'd had very few interactions with her maybe like a handful of interactions with her in those two weeks and my friend at work came up to me and said i just need to let you know that our new colleague thinks that you're mean now i know that a lot of you might not know me very well but that isn't as far as i'm aware the main conclusion people make about me <laughs> i'm definitely not a mean person and it really like i was horrified that in these brief interactions I'd had with her, her conclusion about me was that I was a mean person. Thankfully, my friend... Hannah's looking at me like, you're not mean. <laughs> Thankfully, my friend reassured her that I wasn't mean. I was possibly having a bad day if I'd maybe like been a bit sharp with her. And my friend also reassured me that I wasn't a mean person. But I then worked extra hard to make sure this colleague knew that I wasn't mean. And we did become good friends. But that judgement still sticks with me. It still feels sore that somebody's first impression of me was that I was mean. Like, what? (laughs) And that's the thing with judgment. They carry weight. Judgments carry weight with them. And often it's negative weight, isn't it? We associate the word judgment with negative things. Whereas actually the word judge or judgment just means choosing between multiple things. It means choosing between multiple options. When you think of the word judge, maybe this is what you think of. We've got Paul and Prue there ready to judge some cakes on the Bake Off. Maybe it's the British Got Talent judges, the Strictly judges, or maybe something like the diving judges at the Olympics. Or maybe when you think of judges, you think something more like this. The very old school, which we still use today, judges wigs that we use in the UK, Ruth Gator Ginsburg in America. We think of people who have a lot of power, who have a lot of responsibility, where their judgments, in both of these slides, can make or break somebody's life. Judgments carry weight. Whether it's judging the next winner of the Great British Bake Off, or the punishment that somebody deserves for breaking the law, judgments that are made can change people's lives. And our society loves judgment. Whether it's watching people fail and succeed on Britain's Got Talent, or watching people be grilled by the court of public opinion. We love to judge people's actions, rightly or wrongly. Even this week, something as tragic as five people losing their life on a submersible has been open to the court of public opinion, where five people that we know nothing about other than the content of their bank account, if you look on Twitter, has brought some very harsh judgments on people. Twitter is one of the worst places if you want to go and look for judgment or best places depending on what kind of judgment you're looking for. The world tells us it's okay to judge people. It's okay to tell people outright that they are wrong and to cancel people. Cancel culture teaches us it's okay to judge people and not really care about the consequences that that is going to bring. And even the church, the church, the big church, can be seen as judgmental. There was a survey taken in 2022 called the talking jesus report what people in the uk think of jesus christians and evangelism it was a report that was supported by groups like alpha the louis palouse association the evangelical alliance and it looked at the state of christianity in the uk and it's a really interesting read if you like graphs and would uh, interested in what the general population in the uk think of christianity and the church it's a really interesting read but the bit that I'm after today is what people think of the church. And the blue, so this is a survey of non Christians, and the blue is the positive things. So at 22%, we've got friendly. They thought that the church was friendly. But if you look at the negatives, which are in orange, at 26%, we have hypocritical and narrow minded. Christ- non Christians in the UK think that the church, which we are part of, is hypocritical and narrow minded thankfully when it looked at people who knew individual christians these weren't as high but they see the church as an organization as judgmental so how do we change that we might not be able to change what people think of the church as a whole but actually our interactions with people how we reflect jesus to them how we deal with judgment is going to affect what people think about the church as well so let's look back at matthew 7. Let's see what Jesus has to teach us about being judgmental. And I've got three points that we're gonna look at. They may not make too much sense at the minute, but they will just get into them. The first one is look at your measure. The second is look at your plank. And the third is look at how to bring restoration. So first up, we've got look at your measure. In verse two, Verse 1 and 2, it says, Do not be judged, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured against you. Jesus is explaining here that judging people is a lot like measuring. And we even still use this image in our justice system. Outside the Old Bailey, which is the biggest court in the UK, or the highest court in the UK, is this statue of Lady Justice. With a sword in one hand, and in the other, set away in scales. Scales. Scales to measure right and wrong. Scales to weigh someone's choice and make a judgment. In baking, if your scales aren't correctly calibrated, your cake is not going to turn out great. We need to make sure that the measures we are using is calibrated correctly. But how do we do that? What are we calibrating to? Well, we've moved on from Imperial versus metric feet versus meters, and now we're into the realms of how we measure morality. How do we measure what's right from what's wrong? And I'm not gonna do a deep dive into morals and ethics today, other than to say our life experiences and our view of the world affects our morals and how we judge people for making decisions, rightly or wrongly. Our worldview will affect how we judge other people. I'm a clumsy person. My son, who is six, loves to tell me just how clumsy I am. He'll say to me, Mummy, you're clumsy because you've banged your nose on the door. I don't even remember banging my nose on the door, but I trust him that it's happened. I imagine he saw me do it once, and he's drawn the conclusion that I am clumsy, which is a correct judgment. If you've been around me for more than about five minutes, I will either trip over something, drop something, just make a mess, generally much to Ross's enjoyment. Um, And I've gotten used to it, but hearing my six-year-old repeat that judgment back to me was hard to hear. I was hoping I'd hidden my clumsiness a little bit better. I obviously wasn't doing a very good job, but actually my clumsiness has almost got me into trouble before with how people have judged it. I currently have bruises, don't know if you can see, on each. Each arm and this is from walking into door handles I know you look at me like who walks into door handles me oh great I'm not on my own it's okay there's some other people with bad spatial awareness but at work once one of the ward consultants pulled me aside I had a bruise very similar to this one and wanted to check that everything was okay at home and that I wasn't in an abusive relationship because she thought that the bruise looked like a grab mark and I mean, they do look quite thumbprinty if somebody had grabbed me very hard. Her judgment, although maybe incorrect, was very well-placed and very well-meaning. But actually, she'd made a lot of assumptions there. She saw a bruise on my arm and wanted to check that actually I was safe. But in seeing the bruise, she'd made an assumption. She obviously didn't know that I was quite as clumsy as I am. She didn't know Ross, but she had made an assumption that I could be in an abusive situation or that I could be in an unsafe place. And however well-intentioned that was, that wasn't a judgment that she made through her measure, through her worldview. Her assumptions and judgments were wrong. And had she been more concerned, it could have got very serious very quickly. And thankfully, it was something that I could come home to Ross and say, ha ha ha, you know how clumsy I am. My consultant at work thinks that you're abusing me. not a laughing matter but it's something now that you look back on and think oh maybe i do need to cover <laughs> my clumsy bruises up but i could say to her i was clumsy and that's where it come from but how easy is it to see something and make a judgment and come to a conclusion that can be vastly wrong when we judge people often we're judging them on one interaction we're seeing them do one thing We've measured that one thing against our moral code and found them coming up short. And when we judge people based on that one action, we really start to dehumanize them. We stop seeing them as image bearers of God and as someone that deserves our judgment. As humans and as Christians, we're really, really good at seeing other people's faults and are really, really bad at reflecting actually on our own. So as we see this other person's faults, we heap all of our judgment onto them. We start to convince ourselves even that God sees them the way that we see them, that he agrees with our judgment that we've put on them, that Jesus is on our side judging them. Something like this. Me and Jesus on this side and the sinner or the person I'm putting judgment on all the way over there, we raise ourselves up to the place of God. We make ourselves judge jury and executioner and we put all of our judgment onto that person in James 4 it says this brothers and sisters do not slander one another anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it when you judge the law you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it there is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and destroy but you Who are you to judge your neighbor? James reminds us that there is one lawgiver and one judge, capital letters. We don't occupy that space. We don't need to become judge, jury and executioner. There is thankfully someone much greater, much more merciful, much more wise and much more just than us that occupies that role. Remember, we need to look at our measure. We need to look at what we are using to judge people on, at how we judge people. We need to look at our scales and see if they are calibrated to. um, We need to look at our scales, check the calibration and remember that they are faulty. I love this quote from CS Lewis. Do not judge a man by where he is because you don't know how far he has come. We don't need to be the judge, jury and executioner because there is one judge. There's one judge whose measure is always fair, whose, whose measure is always calibrated correctly and also knows how far we have all come. My second point is to look at your plank. After telling um, his followers not to judge each other, Jesus moves on to a parable about two people, one with a speck of dust in his eye and one with a plank. And it's a short parable about how we deal with judgment, how we deal with judging others because There will be times that we will judge others, but here is Jesus telling us the right way to go about it. So let's first off, think back to this person. We are judging here. We've seen the speck of dust in their eye, and we've decided that Jesus judges them the same the way that we do. But is that what Jesus is saying here in these verses? Is he saying, see that speck of dust and go and tell them? (laughs) Go and tell them that they made that speck of dust out of their eye. We can go and clearly and plainly tell people that we see what is going wrong, that they are judged. But if we handle it like that, how do they ever get healing? How does that ever come constructive? All we're gonna do is cause harm and it's gonna lead to condemnation instead of restoration. Jesus is actually telling his followers that we don't need to look deeper at the other person's sin, at the other person's wrong, but actually it's our own plank that is the problem. It's our own sin that we need to examine. I mean, how can you clearly see someone else's fault if you literally have a whole log sticking out of your eye? That is going to affect your vision. That's going to affect how you can see the other person in front of you. Maybe you don't have their whole story. If we can't see their whole story, if we can't know everything that is going on with that other person, then we have to be very careful in how we handle judgment. Actually, what Jesus is saying here is reflect on yourself, reflect on your own sin, deal with your own sin first. Because you know what? If we can't see the other person's whole story, if we can't see everything about them, then we have to assume that our sin is bigger, that our sin is more grievous than the other person. If we've got a whole log and they've only got a speck, that our sin is bigger. And Paul understood this. In 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16, Paul writes this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was showed mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul knew that his heart position needed to be that he understood how bad his sin was. That his sin was as bad as anyone else's. Actually, not as bad as anyone else's, that his sin was worse. Paul, one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, who spread the gospel throughout the early known world, sees himself as the worst of sinners. Why? Because he is honest about the sins he has committed. He knows that he has done wrong, and he knows his needs for a saviour. And we see this story repeated again in Luke, when Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee um, and a sinful woman comes to see him. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who'd lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Then we jump to 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This woman knows that she's the biggest sinner in the room. She's been told that many times, but she also knows the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus gives her. Jesus doesn't judge her in the way that the Pharisees do. Jesus sees her heart. He sees the great love that she shows him. So what does it mean for us? Well, it means we need to examine our plank. It means we need to take a deep, a good, deep look at our sin and be reminded of just how sinful we are. It's so easy in life to gloss over not being that bad a person And at the same time, we don't want to fall into the pit of, oh, I'm such a bad sinner, I'm the worst person. We don't want to throw a pity party either. We need to look at ourselves clearly, look at our sinfulness, look at our dirt, look at our plank, and remember what Jesus did for us. For me, a sinner of which I am the worst. He suffered brutal beatings. He was nailed to a cross. He suffered and died for me for you because in Romans it tells us that the wages of sin are death that somebody needed to die somebody needed to pay the price for our sin and because of that Jesus paid it all even in our deepest dirtiest sin Jesus replaces it with pure holy whiteness Jesus says to us I see your sin and I died for your sin I see your sin and I forgive your sin I love you I forgive you. So actually, it isn't us and Jesus judging somebody. It isn't even really Jesus judging us and and all the sinners together. Might be cheesy, but it looks something a bit more like this. Jesus paid the price for us. Jesus paid the price so that we can come to him and be forgiven. So that even if our plank is a whole floorboard length, Jesus can forgive us of it. Or whether it's a tiny speck of sawdust, Jesus can forgive us of it. But actually, when we come to look at our brother's speck, when we come to look at that speck of dust in our brother's eye, we come in the knowledge of our own plank, of our own sin. We come knowing all the forgiveness and grace and love that we have been shown. And we realize it was never us in Jesus judging them. It was only ever Jesus giving his life for us. So look at your plank, and remember all that you have been forgiven. And it is only out of that heart, it is only out of that realization, that we can do point three, which is to look at how to bring restoration. In verse five, It says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, which we've just addressed. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's only once you have dealt with the plank in your own eye, once we have humbled ourselves, once we've remembered just how sinful we are, but also how much we have been forgiven, that we can help our brother with his speck. So how do we do that? As I've been um, researching this talk, I came across this quote in an article which said, our goal in confronting a Christian caught in sin is to gain back our brother or sister. I'll say it again. Our goal in confronting a Christian caught in sin is to gain back our brother or sister. It isn't to humiliate. It isn't to chastise. It isn't to condemn. It is to point them back to Jesus, to remind them they are forgiven as we are forgiven, and to bring restoration These conversations aren't easy, and they work best when we're in discipleship relationships with each other. Relationships where we are accountable to each other, where we grow together, where we sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron from Proverbs 27. We are meant to live in a relationship with each other. We are supposed to help refine each other, grow together, and point each other towards Christ as we become more Christ-like But Jesus is telling us that there's a right way and a wrong way of going about that. Ultimately, we need to make sure our hearts are in the right place so that rather than condemnation, we bring about restoration. Jesus in John four meets the Samaritan woman at the well. He knows her sins before she's even opened her mouth. Why else would she be out in the middle of the day? Yet his interaction with her doesn't end in him chastising her for the life she has led. It doesn't lead to her judgment and condemnation. In fact, it ends with her believing in Jesus and spreading the good news to the Samaritans. She is not condemned for her sins, she is restored. And we see the same again in John 8, with the woman caught in adultery, who the Pharisees are going to stone. Jesus knows she has been caught in sin, but rather than condemning her, he tells of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, let any one of you who is without sin th- let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And everyone leaves. Jesus tells her, "Now go and leave your life of sin. Instead of a sentence of death, she is, she is given a sentence of life, of a restored life. We need to have Christians in our life who will help us take the speck out. But we also need Christians in our life who will help us address the massive floorboards that we have stuck in our eye. We need discipleship. We need people around us to help us become more like Jesus, help restore us so that we can help restore, so that we can help restore other people too. So we've looked at how the world tells us to judge others. The world tells us that it's okay to judge others regardless of the consequences. And it tells us that actually the the world sees the church as hypocrites when we deal with our judgments. And we've looked at how the Bible tells us to judge or deal with judging. We've looked at, look at your measure. How are you measuring other people? What measure are you using them against? Because your measure will be faulty. Because there is one just judge, and that is God. And then secondly, we've looked at, look at your plank. We have to assume that we are the bigger sinner when we're dealing with people. We have to remember the the grace and the forgiveness that we have been given before we can help somebody realize their own, before we can bring about restoration. Our goal in confronting a Christian caught in sin is to gain back a brother or sister. It isn't to condemn. It isn't to judge. And actually, the way we do that is by developing discipleship and accountability relationships so that when we need to raise those things, when we need to point out that speck, we're in a safe place where we know that will be received well. I came across this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German theologian from the 20th century. Judging others makes us blind. Whereas love is illuminating, By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. When we heap our judgment onto others, when we judge them based on their actions, we do it forgetting sometimes the grace that we have been given. It's only when we humble ourselves, humble our hearts, remember what Jesus has done for us, that we can go and share, we can go and help with that speck in our brothers or sisters' eyes. So I just want to take some time to respond. Maybe, as I've been speaking, this has raised hurt that you have remembered from people judging you. We've already heard a couple of stories about it this morning. And I'll take some time in a minute to pray for forgiveness, for you to forgive the hurt that you have been uh, that you have experienced through people judging you. Maybe you don't know that Jesus forgives your sins. Maybe you don't know that Jesus sees that plank and he's paid the price for it on the cross. And Maybe you need someone to help you be accountable. Maybe you need that relationship where you can sharpen each other and deal with whatever is in your eye. So I'm just going to pray for us. Father God, I'm sorry for the times that I have been quick to judge other people. I'm sorry for the times that it's took me seven seconds to make a conclusion about somebody. About your child, about your image bearer. I'm sorry Lord for the times that I have seen them as something other as something that I can heap my judgment onto. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive us for the planks that we have in our own eye. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be able to examine our own plank, our own sinfulness, and remember the price that you've paid for us. I thank you, Lord, for your grace that we just don't deserve, but you heap it onto us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the just judge, that we don't need to be jury, judge, and executioner, because you are the judge. And you don't judge... I pray, Lord, for anybody in the room who has hurt from judgments that have been put on them. And I just pray for your healing spirit, Lord. I pray that you would heal that hurt, that those things that can really uh, affect our self-esteem, affect how we see ourselves. I thank you, Lord, that you see our heart and you see who we are. And I just pray for healing, Lord, for anyone that feels uh, that they have been judged incorrectly and the hurt that that has caused. And I pray, Lord, this morning for anyone in the room who doesn't know you, who doesn't know the forgiveness that you give us. I thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for me, that you died on the cross for everyone in this room so that we can be free, that we can be free of our sin and that we can have a personal relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, as well, for anyone that is seeking that accountability relationship that needs somebody to sharpen them as iron sharpens iron, to help mold mold them to become more and more Christ-like We thank you, God, for your merciful love on us. And we pray, Lord, as we go out, as we go about our week, that you'll help us, that you'll refine us as we learn better how to judge. We pray, Lord, that actually as the church, the church will be known not for being hypocritical, but actually for its love. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks, Lara. Um, I'm just going to ask the band to do one more song um, and have we got a prayer team this morning? Give me a wave if you're on the prayer team. Yep. Yeah. So, and the prayer team will be at the back um, if anybody feels that they want prayer, f- you know, that amazing talk from Lara's. Um, if you feel you need prayer to, to do with that, to do with forgiveness, with healing, with judgement, or or anything else, um, then those guys are there um, waiting for you. So we'll just go into one more song.